Welcome to episode 25 of Dirt Track Weekly. I'm your host, Kyle Simons. Last week, we looked at Mike Hess's move from race directing the World of Outlaws to moving to the High Limit Sprint Car Series. We examined the incoming war for control of sprint car racing in the United States. We looked at Ethan Dotson's move to Coltman Farms Racing. We looked at the Max Blair Boom Briggs split and much more. If you did not get a chance to listen to that episode, you can go back on our archives and give it a listen. On Monday, it was announced that PCC Motorsports and team owner Craig Sims would be scaling back next season, leaving Spencer Hughes without a ride. Hughes and the team have followed the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series the past couple of seasons and followed the tour with Hudson O'Neill and Kyle Strickler before that. We'll see what happens for Hughes moving forward. If he wishes to stay out on the road, I hope that he finds something that can allow him to do that. On Tuesday, a post on Facebook announced that Johnny Scott was selling two race-ready Longhorn chassis because he was getting out of super late model racing altogether. While this does happen more than people care to admit, it is worth looking at when the sport is, where the sport is in terms of cost. Drivers and teams are struggling to keep competitive cars on the track on a weekly basis. Sponsorship isn't what it used to be for a lot of guys, and tire bills and other costs continue to rise. Super late model racing in particular has to do something to get costs under control. Also on Tuesday, Kenny Collins announced that he would be leaving the Coltman Farms racing team at the end of the season. Collins is a great regional competitor out of Georgia, and I can't help but think that some of this has to do with the news that Ethan Dodson will be driving for Coltman Farms next season. Collins and David McCoy were teammates for Coltman Farms. Does this also lead to McCoy finding something else? Time will tell on that one, but Dodson could be a potential star in the making in the super late model ranks, and Coltman Farms is looking to get on, in on the action with him. On Tuesday night, Rico Abreu won the High Limit Sprint Car Series event at Bridgeport over Kyle Larson, Corey Eliason, Justin Sanders, and Kyle Reinhardt. Buddy Kofoid put a slider on Abreu for the lead about halfway through the event, but immediately got into a lap car and spun, ending his chances of winning. Abreu would go on to hold off Larson for the win. The other development associated with the High Limit Sprint Car Series event at Bridgeport is that Mike Hess was there, and he was running the show again as the race director. I know he posted something about not knowing where he would land, but I'm guessing that this has been in the works for a while. Hess was def will definitely bring stability to the High Limit Sprint Car Series from an officiating standpoint. Now, when it comes to what the schedule looks like next season, who knows? But there are plenty of rumors out there on what might actually happen. One thing I know for sure is that there will be a war for control of sprint car racing, and very soon. On Wednesday, the dates for the three major events at Eldora Speedway were announced for next season. The one that is perplexing from a standpoint of knowing what it means is the King's Royal date. In 2022, the first two dates were run for the historical big one. Last year, the first two days were to run the Eldora Million. What does it mean for this season? Will the historical big one be returning? Will it have something to do with the High Limit Sprint Car Series and their rumored purchase of the All-Star Circuit of Champions? It will be interesting to see where that one heads during the Sprint Car War of 2024. On Wednesday night, Matt Williamson kicked off Super Dirt Week with a small block modified win at Brewerton in the Hurricane Harvey event over Jordan McCready, Matt Caprera, Felix Roy, and Mark Johnson. On Thursday night, Brian Brown picked up, picked up his biggest career victory, winning the $62,000 Tuscarora 50 at Port Royal for the All-Star Circuit of Champions. Kyle Larson, Chase Randall, Brent Shear, and Carson Macedo followed Brown across the finish line. It looked to be Brent Marks's race early in the going after he took the lead from Chase Randall, but Mark spun entering lap traffic shortly after the halfway point. Randall will go on to lead much of the event after that, but a restart with seven laps remaining put Brown on his rear bumper, and Brown used that restart to put a huge slider on Randall that netted him the victory. 
Also on Thursday night, Super Dirt Week at Oswego hosted the three qualifying races for the small block modifieds. Those events were won by Matt Williamson, Zachary Payne, and Eric Rudolph. On Friday, I read a blog post on Dirt on Dirt from Robert Holman that put it perfectly when it comes to the news this week about Spencer Hughes' team scaling back and Johnny Scott selling all of his super late model stuff. The sky is not falling. Yes, there are concerns about the rising cost of equipment to field a competitive super late model team nationally, but every year we lose teams on the national tours, and every year those tours gain teams. It's part of the economics of the sport. Some teams do a great job finding money to stay on the road, and some do not. Their performance does not help matters. The tours are never going to have 20 teams following them during a given season. That's just not a sustainable model for all the teams to make money and be able to continue on that budget. Naturally, a handful of teams are going to collect the bulk of purse money compared to the lesser performing teams. Over time, those lesser performing teams will either scale back or drop off the tour altogether. And those teams will be replaced by new teams that are looking to complete, compete nationally. On Friday, I saw a post stating that West Virginia Motor Speedway was for sale. This is a shame after it was revived a few seasons ago. But I think anyone could have predicted this outcome after the announcement was made that the big 5 8 mile track was going to be the track they were using. West Virginia Motor Speedway was one of the most unique and premier facilities in all of dirt track racing from its inception in the mid-1980s until about 2000. But as the cars have gained more power, the size of the track has had a lot to do with motor issues and drivers not wanting to risk their equipment running on such a big track. When the track was purchased and reopened, it would have been smart to have shortened the facility much in the same manner that Bridgeport and Davenport have done and created great racing with a smaller track. WVMS will always be remembered for producing some good racing in the past, but I think we have probably seen the last of the racetrack. On Friday night, Tyler Courtney picked up the win in the World of Outlaws race at Port Royal over David Gravel, James McFadden, Logan Schuhart, and Lance DeWeese. On Friday, it was announced that Jake Carklin would be driving the Ritter Racing 35 car next season. Jason Schultz left the team earlier this season. Carklin has looked fast every time I've seen him at Port Royal this season, and I think he's a good fit for the Ritter team. They will focus on 410 sprint car races at Port Royal, Seelands Grove, and Williams Grove next season. Bobby Pierce won the World of Outlaws Late Model Series race at Brownstown over Chris Madden, Tyler Erb, Gordy Gundaker, and Adam Stricker. On Friday, Dave Darland announced that he would be retiring at the end of the season. I want to say thank you to Darland. He has been one of the most successful non-wing sprint car drivers in history, and he will be greatly missed at the track in a car. Darland has been a force for over 40 years. On Friday night, Lincoln Park hosted the first ever event for the Wing to Maverick Sprint Car Series with Cale Thomas picking up the win over Bill Baylock, Brenham Crouch, Zane DeVault, and Skylar G. On Saturday night, Justin Grant won the Fall Nationals for USAC at Lawrenceburg over Robert Ballou, Jake Swanson, Logan Seavey, and Jaden Rogers. Zeb Wise won the Nittany Showdown for the World of Outlaws at Port Royal over Tyler Courtney, Logan Schuhart, David Gravel, and Lance DeWeese. DeWeese led the first half of the event before falling off. Wise drove a masterful race to pick up the win. Trevor Feathers won the Laser Late Model Clash at Lincoln over Ross Robinson, Andrew Yoder, Gary Stuhler, and Gene Knob. Bobby Pierce picked up another World of Outlaws Late Model Series victory at Fairbury over Nick Hoffman, Chris Madden, Brandon Shepard, and Kyle Bronson. And on Saturday night, Carson Ferguson picked up a $23,000 victory at Swainsboro in the Hunt the Front Dirt Series event over Ashton Winger, Cody Overton, Pearson Lee Williams, and Josh Putnam. The Super Dirt Week 200 lapper and the Small Block Modified feature at Oswego were rained out on Sunday and are planning on being run on Monday. I'm recording this on Monday morning, so we'll give you those results next week. 
In an ever-increasing racing climate where parts and equipment are more expensive by the year, it is imperative for teams to schedule smart when putting their schedules together. While many teams at the national level have great funding and use the incentive programs that their particular series provides, a lot of regional competitors are not running events that make the most sense for their program. There are a lot of factors that go into making decisions for scheduling, and sometimes planned vacations and life can get in the way. But I'll use the Pittsburgh 100 from the week before last as an example. There were a few top-notch regional competitors who were not in action at an event that paid 30000 to win and a hefty purse. One of those teams even was a team that is housed less than a half hour away. What sense does that make for your program? I get running at Eldora and some of the bigger events across the country, but why to tow to Eldora to be a part of the show and what wasted diesel fuel money when you aren't willing to run an event in your backyard for a hefty purse? And if you want events locally to continue to happen with great purses, you have to support those events. It doesn't make any sense for racetracks to, get, to schedule big paying events if teams aren't going to support those events with great car counts and good fields. Why would a track pay a great purse for a race when they would get the exact same field for 5,000 to win? We have to look at it from that perspective. The tracks are in the business of making money and if major events aren't supported properly, you will eventually see those events cease to exist. That does it for this week's episode. If you like what you hear, follow us on whatever app you use to listen to your podcast and follow our Twitter page at Live Dirt Updates. Give us a rating and a review and we would greatly appreciate it. See you next week, right here on Dirt Track Weekly.